This is Nuclear Explained. Welcome to Nuclear Explained. In our last episode, you heard about plant mutation breeding with seeds in space. You've also heard how nuclear techniques are helping to address malnutrition and how they have even debunked what we thought about our metabolism. In this episode, we are going to take a look at another element of food, food safety. I'm Joanne Liu. And I'm Ihan Evrensel. Nuclear techniques enhance the growth of fruits and vegetables, and they can also be used to measure the amount of nutrients absorbed. Now, we'll talk about how nuclear science can ensure the food that we eat is safe. In short, nuclear has a role to play from the farm to table and our bodies. We are wrapping up our three-part series on nuclear and food. We'll talk to the experts to understand what food safety is and how and why nuclear is involved. Food safety just means that we protect the food and we do all we can to detect any food that might not be safe and we stop it from being eaten. This is Carl Blackburn. Carl is a chemist and food irradiation specialist at the Joint FAO-IAEA Center of Nuclear Techniques in Food and Agriculture. Food remains safe as it passes all the way through the food supply chain from where it's produced to the person who ultimately eats it. To what extent is food safety an issue? Um, the World Health Organization estimate around about 600 million people a year are made ill because of unsafe food. That's one in 10 people. But if you think the population of the United States of America is about 300 million, that's twice the population of the USA every year is made sick because of unsafe food. And, and unfortunately, some of those people, about 420,000, is estimated um, die, so the human cost is enormous. On a local scale and as well as global scale, how do scientists ensure food safety? On the science side, um, when we think about the food supply, we have international food standards. They give limits for contaminants in food. They set out good practices for food processing, food handling and food storage. And governments base their legislation on these international standards. The Food Control Authorities police these, these uh, regulations and legislation so that the food supply meets the legislation, so it meets the international standards. It's important that the standards are there because it's important that all the countries are working to the same level, things are harmonised, but also it's important that the, the rules, if you like, are scientifically justified. We don't want these to become a necessary barrier for food trade. It's important that food can freely move around the world and we don't want to disrupt trade just because of some uh, over-elaborate food controls. How are these standards that you refer to, how are they developed? It sounds very grand, but there's a body called the Codex Alimentarius Commission. The name, it's Latin, it means food code or food book. There are around about 200 member countries uh, that take part in Codex. There are 230 observer organisations or thereabout. The Secretariat is run by the World Health Organization in uh, joint with the Food and Agriculture Organization. And the IEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, is an observer. The IEA is responsible for um, international radiation safety standards, but also the nuclear sciences play a key role in some of the analytical tests and also some of the food processing techniques that are used. As you mentioned, the IAEA, it is helping create safety standards and then also in the application 
of nuclear techniques for food safety. So tell us a little bit more about these nuclear techniques. Well, there are different nuclear techniques that can be used in the laboratory uh, um, for mainly analytical techniques. And this is because there's some um, nuclear phenomenon or some nuclear process that we rely on in science to separate or identify or quantify chemicals in foods. For example, there's a technique uh, called mass spectrometry where you have to ionize uh, the chemicals before they're put through the spectrometer. We use that method to detect things like pesticides in food or veterinary drug residues that might be present in food uh, to make sure that the um, levels are safe or the chemicals are out there. Secondly, there's food processing techniques that also rely on nuclear technologies. If you're trying to make sure that food's free of a, a foreign object, so a good example is bone in, in, in a beef burger. You can take an x-ray and make sure there are no bone fragments in a beef burger. Equally, you can shine x-rays onto food um, to, to maintain the quality of food and to kill any microbes that might be on the food, so prevent food illness. You can also reduce food losses and extend the, the product shelf lives by using x-rays for food irradiation. Can you break down the steps to mass spectrometry in the lab? First, you, need, you take the, a sample of the food and then you need to homogenize it and you pass it through um, uh, a matrix t to make sure that the, the chemicals are separated by um, the ones that take a short time to pass through and the ones that take a long, t long time to pass through like a capillary, like a tube. And when they get to the end, you need to detect them, right? So when they get to the end of the tube, you shine a small amount of radiation on them, which ionizes them. It gives the chemicals a charge, um, a one plus charge. And then you fire these past the magnet. If you think about um, how they're deflected, the magnet will deflect um, a light chemical much more than it'll deflect a big heavy chemical. Imagine the difference between a rowing boat and a super tanker. If a super tanker is charging down through the ocean lens, it's difficult to make it deviate from its course. Well, that's a big chemical, okay? It won't bend as much when it goes past the magnet through a magnetic field. A small chemical like a rowing boat, when that goes past the magnet, that'll be deflected a lot. So by these deflections, you can, you can tune into the different sizes of the molecules. So you can tune into the molecular size, you know the weight of the molecular fragments, you can work out what the original chemical was. This is how you detect the different chemicals using mass spectrometry. You're separating them by their mass, but to be able to separate the chemicals by their mass, you need to first ionize them. And it's that simple initial step, irradiating the chemicals to ionize them, is a nuclear technique. Without that, the whole thing wouldn't work. You wouldn't be able to detect them. You're listening to Nuclear Explained. Nuclear techniques play an essential role in food safety. On paper, they help develop international standards and guidelines. And in practice, nuclear and related methods are used to detect food contamination and to eliminate potential food hazards like bacteria and pests. In this next segment, we'll learn about food irradiation, which uses X-rays, electron beams, or gamma rays to eliminate foodborne pathogens and to control spoilage. My name is Shima Shayafar. I'm a food scientist based in the United States. What kind of foods are 
irradiated. So technically, any food can be irradiated for extending shelf life, ensuring safety. However, kinds of food permitted to be irradiated varies in each country according to their body of regulations. For example, FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S., has clearly outlined the maximum dose at which different food items such as meat, fresh produce, spices, etc. can be irradiated. However, in that list, we don't have any official information about dairy products, meaning uh, dairy products in the U.S. at this point they cannot be irradiated from legal perspective. However, in uh, Europe, we have another list permitted for different food items. In that list, we have like fresh raw milk camembert. So that item can be specifically treated uh, with ionizing radiation in uh, Europe. How widespread is the technology you're talking about applied across the world? It is widely used, more specifically for herbs and spices. But I would say we have not met uh, our capacity. There's still room for growth. How is the food irradiated? Before starting to irradiate the food, we need to clearly know the food and identify the common microbial risk and quality attributes associated with that food item. For example, if the food is fresh produced, say cabbage or like lettuce, Given the fact that E. coli is a major safety concern in fresh produce, we should make sure to choose the right uh, irradiation dose for inactivating E. coli, which is very low, at, as low as about like 100 grade. You choose the dose to maximize the food safety, and then you standardize your palating practices and process to make sure that uh, there is dose uniformity applied in your treated food. Uh, Well, the amount of dose is pretty much adjusted by the speed of the conveyor belt that is running food into the irradiation chamber. The faster it goes, the less dose of irradiation you get. And the slower it goes, you get higher dose of irradiation. Imagine standing under a shower. So the longer you stand, you get better. Same goes with uh, ionizing radiation. When food is treated with ionizing radiation, the DNA and RNA chains of uh, E. coli or any other pathogens uh, is damaged, and thus the microorganism cannot grow or reproduce, resulting in a safe food. And does that have any implications on my health when I eat the irradiated food? Absolutely not. There is a body of literature and clinical studies showing that uh, irradiated food has no uh, impact on the health. And uh, the example I bring up to friends is that, uh, are you afraid of eating microwaved food? Does that mean you are going to get microwaved? No. When I buy my instant soup on the package, it says spices are irradiated. So if that was not the case, what would have happened to that ready-made mixture in the package? It could have been treated with other methods like, like ethylene oxide or chemicals. People had a choice to choose from, let's say, chemical treatment versus a green technology that is ensuring the utmost level of food safety and without compromising on organoleptic properties because many of those chemicals uh, are going to reduce the premium quality of spices, whereas irradiation is a non-thermal technology and it's not necessarily impacting the aroma and the flavor that we intentionally add to the soup in order to make it more flavorful. 
do we have any challenges or what are the benefits that other technologies cannot bring? I would say the main challenge is lack of universal regulatory guidelines to streamline the global trading of irradiated foods. There are still some countries that they do not have uh, regulations for food irradiation. The other challenge is just some of those erroneous connotations sometimes associated with this technologies. But on the other hand, we have great benefits to this technology, such as uh, the fact that this technology is a non-thermal processing technique, meaning there is no heat generated through the process to impact the nutrients, freshness, flavor, or aroma in the food items while ensuring the maximum level of food safety. The other benefit I can think of is that unlike many of the other processing technologies in food industry, you can pretty much uh, irradiate the final packed food, which makes the risk of cross-contamination almost zero. You irradiate fresh fruit as well as food that is already packaged. Is that correct? That's exactly right. You can irradiate food as, uh, as it's packaged in its final format. The beauty of this technology is that it happens right after packaging, if you desire, meaning that there is no chances of reintroduction of uh, any hazardous microorganism. Are there any other methods that this technology, the food irradiation, would compare to? If we compare it for its sterilization application with the gold standard processing technology in food industry, canning, which almost happens to be the oldest uh, techno processing technology in food industry, I would say irradiation is much more faster and accurate with no dependence on water supply or fossil-based uh, fuels. In canning, the food item needs to be formulated with some sort of a liquid to make sure the process is uniform. While in uh, irradiation, any food format can be irradiated to achieve sterilization without those considerations. Ionizing radiation is gentle on food, but not on microbes or invasive pests. This method of keeping our foods safe does not alter the taste or texture of foods and does not leave behind any residues. As Shima mentioned, it can even prevent cross-contamination. Now that we've learned about nuclear's role in eliminating food hazards, we're going to speak with an expert about nuclear's role in detecting food contaminants, contaminants such as pesticides and veterinary drug residues. Sandy will tell us about his food safety lab based in the Botswana National Veterinary Laboratory. My name is Sandy Mokancha. I'm a chemist. I'm also a principal scientific officer. Tell us more about your laboratory. My laboratory is a, a food safety lab. The lab was established a long time ago in, in 1989. We have engaged the International Atomic Energy Agency uh, for capacity building as well as for, for resourcing our laboratory. And uh, we also had some uh, technical cooperation uh, projects which really helped in terms of capacity building. Also through IAEA, we, we had built some networks, some collaborations, whereby we trained some other scientists uh, over the past four years Scientists from uh, Nigeria, Lesotho, Burundi, Uganda, Seychelles, just to mention a few. Not only have you established a, 
a well-equipped lavatory, but you're also helping other countries, your surrounding neighbors, in training. What is the role of a food safety laboratory? We carry out testing on food and food products, uh, mainly to assure our consumers that the food that they are eating is safe for their consumption. Not only that, uh, we also support trade, trade of all the products uh, that our, our country is exporting by testing uh, those products also to ensure that uh, they are safe for human consumption. It's a requirement by the importing uh, countries. So not only is it about safety, but it's also about your economy. You're able to protect your consumers and then at the same time facilitate trade. What kind of foods does Botswana export? Botswana mainly export beef. We export beef to European markets, and we've been exporting for over 40 kids by now, more than 40 years. To export uh, beef to international markets, there are some uh, standards, some requirements that we have to meet. And then Botswana National Veterinary Laboratory is mandated to carry out testing that ensures that those standards are met. We have what we call National Residue Control Plan, which has a number of tests, a number of samples, that we have to conduct and, 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 and carry out during the course of the year. And then if you meet all those requirements, then you are certified to export to international standards. So the main um, role is to conduct that testing for uh, facilitating beef trade. And what kind of things are you testing for? In beef uh, products, uh, mainly we look for residues of veterinary drugs, such as antimicrobials. We also look for pesticides. We look for the steroids, the banned substances like hormones. We also check for mycotoxins and the metallic elements. What does this test look like? A, a technique. It's called the liquid chromatography mass spectrometry. The technique is uh, more sensitive, it's more selective, and gives uh, more accurate results. It's very universal. You can test a, a very a wide range of, of substances, a wide range of uh, veterinary drugs, steroids, hormones, mycotoxins, even pesticides. Food safety is a critical aspect of public health and global food security. Most threats of contaminated food go undetected by consumers. That's where food safety labs come into the picture. Food safety laboratories serve as a front line of defense to detect and halt the spread of contamination. And as we learned, they are key to enabling food trade. The joint FAO-IAEA Center has been supporting food safety labs worldwide and also supports the latest developments in applying ionizing radiation to help food products stay safe, fresh, and free of invasive pests. Here are some interesting facts. Carl mentioned that about 600 million people per year become ill because of unsafe food. And according to the World Health Organization, there are 200 diseases caused by unsafe food, ranging from abdominal pain to cancers. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Nuclear Explained and our three-part series about nuclear and food. From the farm to table and our bodies, the applications of nuclear science are far-reaching. If you missed our previous episodes, find them on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or IAEA.org. Have a question or topic you want to hear about on the podcast? 
Send us an email or a voice recording to nuclearexplained at iaea.org. And if you want to learn more about nuclear science and technology, check out our Nuclear Explainers at iaea.org and follow us on social media. I'm Joanne Liu. And I'm Ayhan Evrensel. Thanks for listening to Nuclear Explained, brought to you by the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency. You have been listening to Nuclear Explained.